Matthew chapter 17, starting at verse 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma attacks went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons? Or from others? And when he said, From others, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. However, not to give offence to them, Go to the sea and cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we need to hear your word just as we need to eat food throughout the day. Father, I need to hear your word. I need to hear your spirit speaking to me through it. And Lord, I don't know necessarily what I need to hear. And I don't know necessarily what the people sat here need to hear too. But Lord, you know each heart, each soul, each situation. And you know exactly what we need to hear. And Father, I ask that your Spirit, who inspired this word, would work in each of our hearts, Lord, in the way that we need. And Lord, that we would be built up and encouraged where we need to be, that we'd be challenged where we need to be, or corrected where we need to be. But Lord, whatever we need, we put ourselves in your hands and ask, Lord, that you would work in us through your Spirit, Lord, that you alone would receive all the praise and the glory we Yes, it's in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year 2000, remember that? Mm -hmm. The year 2000, Richard Rodriguez broke the world record <laughs> for riding a roller coaster. And he rode the Big Dipper in Blackpool. Put your hands would be on the Big Dipper in Blackpool. It's a bit of a bone shaker, I think it's fair to say. And he rode the Big Dipper, the Big Dipper, for two thousand hours. Just to put that into perspective, that's more than three months. Okay, that's what he did. And he sat on it night and day, and he ate on it, and he drank on it, and he slept on it, all in the middle of the Blackpool environment which can be pretty harsh at times so through the storms through the sun through everything he sat on the big dipper as it went up and down and up and down for three and a bit months incredible <laughs> sorry sorry for making you feel sick from the start that's great 
But sometimes we feel like that is the Christian experience, don't we? We feel like we're on this endless roller coaster of going up and down and up and down with the conditions thrashing against us. There's nothing we can do about them. And sometimes we feel like we are completely out of control on this roller coaster ride. This may even become a bit of a runaway train. And in this passage, Peter knows all about this roller coaster ride. In fact, Matthew has kind of gone to lengths to pick up on Peter through chapter 16 and 17. So Peter keeps coming up time and time again. And he's on a high, then he's on a low, then he's on a high. He's on the big dipper going through chapter 16 and 17 of Matthew. So let me put on the person of Peter and tell you it from Peter's perspective, just by way of introduction. So it was going so well, really well. Jesus had asked us who we thought he was. And I didn't want the other disciples to embarrass themselves, so I spoke up first. And I said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus seemed so impressed with my answer. I absolutely ticked the box. In fact, Jesus said that it wasn't even humanly possible to come up with that answer on my own. God must have revealed that to me. That made me feel pretty good. But Jesus didn't stop there. He went on to say that I was a rock and he's going to build his kingdom on me and give me the keys to the kingdom. <laughs> pretty awesome. But then it all seemed to go horribly wrong. You see, Jesus suddenly dropped the bombshell. He wanted us to know that he's going to go to Jerusalem and the religious leaders were going to kill him. Well, I wasn't having any of this. So I took Jesus outside and I gave him a piece of my mind. But the response Jesus gave was not what I was expecting. In fact, it was terrible. Because he said to me this, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. A few minutes ago he told me that God had revealed something to me, and now he's saying that I've got the mind of man and not God. <coughs> and Jesus then persisted to teach us that if we're going to follow him, we've got to lose our own lives. In fact, he said we'd have to take up our own cross and follow him. When Jesus first called me to follow him, that was not what I signed up for. But six days later, things were looking, looking up again. <coughs> Jesus picked me as one of his three favourite disciples. And he took us on a field trip up a mountain. And well, it was literally the most amazing thing you've ever seen. Because Jesus changed in front of us. And he shone. And it was like we were looking at God. I've never seen anything like it. And not just that, but while he was there, two men were talking with him. And they weren't just any men. Get this. Moses, the one who gave us the law, he was there on the mountain. I saw Moses, and not just Moses, Elijah, like the best prophet going. He was there with Jesus. I thought this was brilliant. So I came up with a great idea. Let's make some tents 
three tents going to live in on the mountain. And to be honest with you, my idea just kind of died straight away because God spoke from heaven and he said, This was his beloved son, and we should listen to him. And then as we were coming down the mountain, I mean, that was great. And then as we started coming down, Jesus started talking about suffering and dying again. And he also mentioned rising from the dead, but this didn't seem to make any sense to me. Then Jesus took us to Galilee, and he insisted on telling us again about how he was going to be killed and then be raised. And this was really beginning to get to us by this point, because Jesus, he kept calling himself the Son of Man. And the Son of Man was meant to be the person who's going to establish God's kingdom on earth. He was going to establish this great empire. He's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to expose our corrupt leaders. He's going to establish God's rule on earth. And we're going to reign with him. And Jesus, well, Jesus being killed would be an absolute disaster. And we'd all look like complete idiots for following him. Well, when we got to Capernaum, Jesus was in the house and I was in town. And the, the temple tax collectors collared me and they said, does Jesus pay the tax for the temple? And I just said, well, yeah, yeah, he does. But I wasn't really sure what I was going to say to Jesus when I got back to the house. But when we got back, I didn't have to say anything. Jesus wanted to talk to me. And I'm so glad that he did. Because it reminded me of why I need to trust in him completely. I'm coming out of character now. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the context. That's what Peter's going through. That's what Matthew's tracking through chapter 16 and 17. And tonight, I want to talk about this. Trust in taxing times. Peter needs to learn to trust Jesus. And so do we. And at the end of chapter 17, it's almost as if Jesus pulls Peter off the roller coaster, off the big dipper, and sits him down and has a bit of one-to-one -one time. Peter, you need to learn to trust in me. And there's this kind of unique encounter, the only Matthew records between Jesus and Peter. And Peter's going to learn four lessons that hopefully we're going to learn tonight as well, about how he needs to completely trust Jesus. So firstly, Peter, you can trust Jesus 100% because he knows, he knows. So when Peter walks into the house after this encounter with the tax collector, who initiates the conversation? Well, it's Jesus. In fact, Matthew specifically says Jesus spoke first. And why? Why did Jesus speak first? Why didn't Jesus let Peter come in and kind of wait to see what Peter was going to tell him? Well, Jesus wants Peter to know that he knows all things. Peter's struggling with trust here. He doesn't get what's going on. He doesn't get why Jesus is talking about suffering and dying. He thinks all things are out of control. But Jesus is saying, I know. I'm in control. That conversation you had in the marketplace with the tax collectors, I was there. I know all about it. 
Jesus doesn't have to be with Peter in person to know what he's experiencing. And this is really helpful when Jesus is talking about death and departure, isn't it? Peter, I'm going to die. But I still know what you're going through even when I've not stood physically next to you. And if Jesus is the all-knowing God, he's not making a mistake when he talks about his impending death. Even if it's not what Peter wants to hear. Jesus knows all things. Got a question. How much do you trust Karen Jacobson? How much do you trust Karen Jacobson? A lot of people in this room will have trusted Karen Jacobson without even knowing who she is. She is the voice, probably the most trusted voice in the world. She's the lady who tells you to turn left at the crossroads or to take the second exit at the roundabout or to come off at Junction 21 and motorway. She is the voice of Google Maps. People around the world listen to Karen Jacobson telling them where to go. When they find themselves in situations and they don't know where to turn, they've got no idea, they're in a completely different country, maybe they don't know where they to go next. Karen Jacobson will tell them. All they have to do is put it in the right direction, the right place they want to go. And trust Karen to get them there. There's a problem though. Karen is no use when your phones run out of battery. Karen is no use when you've got no signal. Karen doesn't know what you need. She only knows what you ask her. Yeah. But Jesus, he never runs out of battery. Even when you're on 1%, Jesus is still on 100%. He knows all things. He's with you, no matter what situation with. Peter, I was with you in the marketplace, even though I was sat in this house. I know all things. I'm in control. You can trust in me. When we don't know what we need, he knows. In all situations we find ourselves in, from the simple conversations that we have on the street, like Peter, <coughs> to the times of deepest distress coming rattling around on the roller coaster of life, getting soaked in the rain, Jesus knows. He knows when we're in the office and we're getting belittled for talking about Jesus. He knows. The young Christian mother who receives the awful diagnosis and everything looks bleak. He knows when the family man is notified of his redundancy and their home's facing possession. Jesus knows. He knows the small child who's bullied in school because they love Jesus. He knows every situation. He even knows the sparrow that falls out of the sky. Jesus knows it all. And sometimes when we question, where is God in all of this? How can this be God's plan? When we're out of control on the roller coaster and it makes no sense, we can trust in Jesus 100% because he knows what's going on. Jesus has been talking about his death, hasn't he, and his suffering. And Peter's like, that makes no sense at all. 
But if God's in control in the crucifixion of his son, how much more can we trust that God is controlled in the situation that we're in? There is nothing that God doesn't know about and that God is in control of. He's got it. So Peter, you may not know what's going on, but you can trust Jesus 100% because he knows. Secondly, you can trust Jesus 100% because he reigns. And Jesus now wants to address the issue of whether or not he should pay the temple tax. Should Jesus pay or should he not pay? But he wants Peter to do the thing. And he asks Peter a question. What do you think, Simon? Who do the kings of the earth take their tax from? From their sons or from others? Who do they tax? Well, the answer is obvious and simple, isn't it? Simple for Peter. Of course the kings don't tax their own sons. They don't tax their own family. They tax everyone else to support themselves. Anyway, we won't go into it here. Why not in our country? But that's exactly what happens. And Peter gets that and he gives a simple answer to Jesus. And Jesus' conclusion is obvious. Then the sons are free. The sons are free. The sons don't have to pay tax. What can we conclude from this? Well, firstly, Jesus is free not to pay the tax. The tax, this tax was instituted in Exodus 30, we'll go there a bit later. But in the tax, each adult aged 20 plus had to give half a shekel at the census. That was the tax, and the tax rate hadn't changed from Exodus through to Jesus' time in Matthew. Well, it's pretty good going, isn't it? Half a shekel, flat rate at the census. We like that. And um, the, ta the tax was specifically went to the tabernacle or the temple, and it was stated that the tax was to be seen as an offering to the Lord. That's what it's called, an offering to the Lord. Peter's already identified Jesus, hasn't he, as the Son of the Living God? What's the implication? The offerings to the Lord, the Son of God is here. He's the one the tax all should be going to. He is the Lord. The whole purpose of this tax is an offering to the Lord. And the Lord standing before you, Jesus Christ, he's the one who should be receiving the tax. So of course he doesn't need to pay it. But the reality is this, that Jesus is the one who is going to give his life and make an offering for them. They're making an offering for the Lord, but the Lord is with them, is going to make an offering for them. But I want you to note this, that Jesus doesn't just consider himself as the Son of God. We see there that he says this, then the sons are free, plural. He could have just said the son, he says the sons. And it's clear as we read the New Testament, isn't it? That those who follow Jesus are adopted sons of the King. They're sons of God. We've been brought into the family of God, adopted in. We're sons with Christ. We're part of the royal family. And that brings with it freedom. 
and privileges thing about this king with the sun the sun can just walk in the front door you go to Buckingham Palace there might be a queue of people who paid a big top dollar to go into Buckingham Palace to walk around but when the prince turns up they don't want to see his ticket do they they don't want him to pay contactless on the door to go in because he's the sun he just walks in and if the king adopts people into his family guess what they're his sons too and they can walk straight in as well they have all the privileges of the king and all the freedoms of the prince so as we ride life's spiritual roller coaster up and down we need to trust jesus why because he reigns as god's son and secondly because we will reign as god's son because he's brought us into his family and he's adopted us and we must have faith in this and strengthen our faith in it jesus reign is above all the earthly authority all these even these tax collectors he's above them but one day we will reign in god's kingdoms as god's adopted sons when we're in the real nose remember jesus god's son and god didn't leave jesus in the grave but god raised him up and as god's sons he won't leave us in the grave but he'll raise up us, us up with christ to reign over the new creation and we won't be taxed we'll be free and rather the creation will be ours to enjoy think about eden it'll be ours to rule you can read in romans 8 we won't read there now about the creation waiting for the sons of god and it talks about the freedom of the sons of god this is the, what we have in christ and we can trust jesus 100 percent because of his status as a son but we can trust jesus 100 percent because of our status as sons of the living god so thirdly peter you can trust jesus 100 percent because he submits now this is why peter's so distressed as well as the other disciples we saw that in verse 23 that they're greatly distressed peter's so distressed because the idea of submission is terrifying why is jesus talking about being delivered into the hands of men jesus you're the one in control you're the one healing the blind and the lame you're the one raising people from the dead why are you being delivered into the hands of these men you can wipe them out straight away it doesn't make any sense and it's clear that jesus knows from this chapter 16 verse 21 he talks about the elders and the chief priests and the scribes they're the ones who are going to kill him they're the ones who are asking for this tax that's the jewish system of leadership they're the ones that the tax goes to and yet they're the ones who are going to kill you in a few weeks and yet jesus says this however not to give offense to them not to give offense to them just think that one through for a second jesus knows 
These are the people who are going to crucify him and cause him great suffering. These are the ones who are rejecting him as the Son of God. And yet Jesus says to Peter, let's not offend them. Let's submit to them and pay the tax. Now this is radical to Peter. It doesn't make any sense to him. But Jesus, just in paying this tax, is speaking volumes about the pattern of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is not about getting the upper hand. It's not about status. It's not about wealth. It's not about appearance. It's not about scoring points against our enemies. Jesus' kingdom is all about humility. It's all about submission. It's all about suffering. And Peter's ultimately going to come to see that Jesus' submission at the cross is going to act as a pattern for his kingdom. In fact, Peter, in his epistle, looks back to the cross as the pattern for suffering. He says, what, for what credit is it if when you sin and beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. But to those you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Peter, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. You don't understand why. But the pattern of submission, even in just paying tax to the people who are going to kill me, the pattern of submitting is the pattern that you're going to have to follow. That's how the kingdom is going to go. And of course, the cross, Jesus demonstrated and led by example, didn't he? But Peter, in his epistle, when he's talking about submitting to authorities, he says this, that we're to live as people who are free. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? As sons of the living God, we are free. And we've been granted this freedom, but we're still to willingly submit to those in authority over us. We may not like our authorities who are over us, we might not have voted for them, but we still have to humbly submit to them. They're the ones God has put in place. And in doing so, we are following Jesus' example. In doing so, we're submitting to Jesus, before whom all of the earthly authorities will one day bow. And even when our suffering, our submission results in suffering, we can trust in Jesus. 100%. We're following his example. We're taking up our crosses and following him. And we will follow him in his resurrection too. Peter, you may not get what's going on here. You may not get what all this talk about suffering and death is and about taking up crosses and following Jesus. But Peter, you need to trust Jesus 100%. And you need to watch his example about how he submits. And Peter, you can have a rocky road ahead. 
He's going to pull out his sword and chop off someone here. No way, like sword on. But Peter, you need to submit like Jesus. And even in that scenario, Peter showed a better example, didn't he? Fourthly, and lastly, we can trust Jesus 100% because he provides. Now, this is interesting. Jesus is going to pay the tax, he's going to submit. Where is he going to get the money from? Well, simple. He could just go to Judas, who looks after the kitty, and say, Here's a shekel, and he's going to pay the tax. But he doesn't, does he? Because he wants to teach Peter something else. You need to trust in me to provide. <coughs> what does he do? Well, he tells Peter to go to the Sea of Galilee, the fish with a hook. You won't need a net, Peter. No nets today. Just a hook. You only need one fish. And you're going to catch a fish, and in the fish's mouth, there's going to be a coin, and the coin will be just the right amount to pay for me and for you. Wow. The one who spoke and formed the Sea of Galilee. The one who spoke and made the fish in the sea. The one who spoke and made the air with the metal ore in it that would one day make that coin is now speaking to Peter and saying, don't cast the hook and I'm going to bring that fish in that sea with that coin, all of which I've made into your hook. Open its mouth, take the coin and go and pay the tax. I am going to provide in all because I'm God. Only God could do that. Peter wants to exercise faith, doesn't he? It's not handed to him on a plate. He starts to go and fish. And Jesus could have commanded Peter, couldn't he? He could have said, go and get in the boat with your nets. Go out there and cast your net over the other side and it'll be full of fish, all with their mouths stuffed with cash. Bring him into shore. Yeah? That would have been great, wouldn't it? Judas would have loved that. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Go and catch one fish, and it'll have just the right amount. You see, Jesus, Peter needs to have faith now, but he also needs to have faith in the future that Jesus is going to keep providing. So why does Jesus provide Peter's tax too? You see, the whole question from the leaders was about Jesus. Does your teacher pay the tax? They didn't say to Peter, do you pay the tax? Well, interested about Peter. You want to know if Jesus is going to pay the tax? So Peter, why didn't Jesus say, Peter, you need to go and get your own money to pay your tax? I'm going to get mine out of the fish. Yeah? And you can stump up half a shekel to pay. But he doesn't. Peter, Jesus wants to pay Peter's tax too. Now at this point, let me read to you from Exodus 30. Just listen up as I read to you. This is where the tax is instructed. And the Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give, listen to this, a ransom for his life to the Lord. When you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them, each one is numbered in the census shall give this 
half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 gerahs. Half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who's numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half a shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives, you shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it to the service of the tent of meeting that they may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. So what's the point of this tax? What's the whole theme in it? The whole theme is this, did you pick up one or two words? A ransom for your life and to make atonement for your life. Now clearly, the price of our life is more than half a shekel. No matter what half a shekel is in today's currency. Life is worth far more than half a shekel. You see, this is just a picture, isn't it? It's just a shadow of Jesus who's going to come. He's going to be the one who pays the tax. He's going to be the one who pays a ransom for your life. He's going to be the one who makes atonement for your life with a down payment. Jesus is going to do that. Half a shekel isn't going to do that. But Jesus is. And so Jesus says to Peter, go and get the money, I'm going to provide it, and I'm going to pay for you. Bear in mind the context, Jesus is talking about suffering and dying, and Peter doesn't get that at all. But in doing so, Jesus is going to pay a ransom for Peter's life. He's going to provide the exact amount, and he's going to make atonement for Peter's life. Jesus symbolically pays the ransom payment to God. That's what this tax was, remember, an offering to the Lord. Jesus pays it as a ransom to God for Peter's life, to make atonement for Peter's life. Now, Jesus had no sins of his own, and he had no need to pay the tax. And yet he paid and provided in full. And in a few weeks' time, Jesus would go to the cross, and he'd shed his blood to pay the exact amount to God to ransom Peter's life and to atone for his sins. Peter won't have to contribute one penny. He is now a son of the living God. He's free from the law and of sin, and he must continue to trust Jesus to provide for him for all eternity. Have you ever been to a wedding? Have you ever been to a fancy wedding? Where there's a really fancy meal and you feel out of place. I don't know why you feel when you go to a fancy meal. That's what I do. And you get to the end of the meal, the three courses have come, they brought out some cheese, you less cheese after a meal, and they bring out that, and they bring out the coffee and the mints, and they just got everything is extra on top. And you click your fingers and you say, I'm liking this. Waiter, can I have the meal, please? And the waiter looks at you and goes, you do understand you've got a wedding here? Yeah. You do understand it's all being paid for. There is nothing for you to pay. Someone paid already. You just need to sit here and enjoy the wedding. Do you know, that's what the kingdom of God is like. We sit there in the wedding feast. We will be there in, in glory. 
the wedding of Christ. And we won't have to pay a penny. It's all been paid for. In fact, you won't even have to go and buy some clothes before God provides the clothes. Literally, you turn up as you are, and Jesus has paid everything on the cross in full to the very last penny. Isn't that incredible? Peter, you don't understand why I'm going to suffer. You will one day. But you need to trust in me 100%. With I am the one who provides, just in a simple way, paying for this tax, but in a much bigger way, on the cross, I'm going to provide, and you must trust Jesus 100%. Remember that rickety roller coaster that Peter's on, up and down, up and down? Peter, there's lots you don't know. But you must trust in Jesus 100%, because he knows. Peter, you feel like you've got no control over life situations, but you must trust in Jesus 100% because he reigns and he's in control. Peter, it may seem that it's complete opposite to what comes naturally to you, but submit and trust in Jesus because he submits. And Peter, you may not know I will survive if Jesus dies, but trust in Jesus 100% because he provides. And Christian here tonight, you can trust Jesus 100% because he knows, because he reigns, because he submits, and because he provides. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for his power and authority well thank you Lord for his example of submission Lord it's such a challenge to us Lord we so often feel so entitled to everything in this world and yet Lord the reality is Lord we're only entitled to hell as we stand but we thank you Lord that because of the work of Jesus Christ paying for our sins, that we've been brought into your kingdom, we've been adopted as sons of the living God, and I thank you, Lord, that now we are entitled to all the riches and splendour of heaven to reign with you. Lord, this is mind-blowing, it doesn't really blow our minds as much as it should. Lord, we ask that you would give us a bigger view of just how incredible this is, we pray. And help us, Lord, to follow Christ's example, to submit and to trust in him in all situations in life, whether the highs or the lows, Lord, to trust in him for all things we pray. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing, and it's a, a kind of old song that's been rehashed, that's the right word. And uh, turn your eyes upon Jesus, we'll fall in his wonders in place. That's what we need to do, isn't it? To trust in him, to turn our eyes to him, and to keep trusting in him on the roller coaster of life. Thanks guys. Mm -hmm.